that's where I thought, oh wow, that's magic. I want to be able to create that magic. We need to heal theater. We need to heal imagination. We need to heal how shows could be preserved. Ego is the biggest enemy, but that's where you lose your audience. Hello and welcome to the Theater Art Life podcast, sponsored by ClearCom, the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of ClearCom Intercom Solutions. The Theater Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Kat Landry. My name is Anna Robb. And today we are talking to Amna Abahal. Amna is a creative director. Her last role was creative director for the ceremonies at Expo 2020 in Dubai. She developed creative programming for the Al Wazil Plaza, the iconic centerpiece of Expo 2020, from concept and narrative to immersive experiences. Amna was also responsible for creating and developing the Expo 2020 mascots, bringing the characters and their story to life. Amna has worked in creative production for more than eight years. She began her career in the Blue Sky Department at Walt Disney Imagineering in Los Angeles. This role saw her contribute to the creative concepts and designs for rides and attractions in Disney theme parks. She studied motion graphics, animation at Zayed at University and architecture at the American University in Dubai. Amna, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for hosting me. It's wonderful to meet you, uh, finally. I've heard wonderful things from Kat. So um, we wanted to get started to say, to tell us like a little bit about how you became a creative director from your motion graphics and your study of architecture. It's actually really interesting because the first time I knew I would dream to be an animation director was in 1994 when the first Lion King movie came out and seeing these colored paintings moving inspired me. And I still remember that day where my dad came in with a VHS uh, tape saying that I have surprise for you all as like me and my siblings. That's where I thought, oh, wow, that's magic. I want to be able to create that magic. And from that year onwards, I knew that even if I study animation or I study graphic or I study any major, I know I will end up being the director, but there is something in me that's so curious. I want to know everything. And that gave me a broad kind of view of how to create things. And the curiosity in me is my actual degree. So I would consider curiosity as my profession. And that's where I jumped from animation, graphic design, photography, and all of this to understand how to put an imagination and a story together. And in your own words, what would you say that a creative director does? It's it's interesting because I've been uh, seeing so many creative directors uh, around the world that I worked with. Uh, Mostly are basically, they would mostly direct and say, we need this, we need that. I'm more of a director slash producer. And maybe because I, I shifted to becoming a producer after being a motion designer. And I, I studied architecture to understand after Disney how to put the rides together. Because I would just imagine how things are. And um, I wanted to have a bit of realistic ground with my kind of rides. So I think it was a good benefit to understand architecturally how things put together. And this gave me a broad idea of how stages can come together. 
And I always wanted to create different things. And the first thing I did at Expo is sketch and draw the center stage of Al-Wasl on a napkin. Everyone thought I was crazy. How can you create? I said, it's easy. Create half a stage, mirror it, and you'll get a circular kind of approach. Or like a, a three, I want people to feel they're lost in a space. And that's where the stage was. So I noticed that I don't know if I can classify myself as a creative director. I am more as a creative director, production producer, which is non-existent title. But I believe that to to be able to translate a, an idea that's in, in, in someone's mind into an execution, you need to be able to know how to do it. And this is where I saw in different shows and we've been through around 200 events at Expo. And I've been through all of these 200 events. And I've seen the creative directors in each of these events and how the producers actually do the work and try to understand what the creative director wants. Towards the end, the producer is actually the creative director because they make it come to life. And that's where I was like, okay, if I want to be a creative director, I want to know everything. I want to be the <laughs> one-man show situation just in case that my idea won't get lost in translation with segment producers, et cetera, et cetera, till it reaches production. So Kat would remember uh, these things where I would actually go to the basement, check the podium, how it looks like, so I can know how the broadcast will look like. So again, became a film director. It's, it's just, I would actually even go to stages while they're built and try to touch the surface to understand how I would throw light on it. So I think it's, it's interesting how being a creative director is more like, I would say, a surgeon who always need to learn more about medicine, about life, about technology, how to make sure that his patient is actually being healed. We need to heal theater. We need to heal imagination. We need to heal how shows could be preserved and maintained. So I would see that the job of a director should never stop into one gig, one show, this director should always thrive to be more into communicating ideas, not their own, ideas of what the world needs to know. So I think it's a bit critical on how to classify a creative director. Amna is basically a production manager's dream in that she is actually thinking about every single element. Um, obviously, there's the creative core of the project, but she's she's also working with every member of the team. She's, like she said, checking that the podium is in the basement. She's all over the place, making sure we have the right angles and that everyone's in the right place. She's the all-in-one. Amna, speaking of Expo, how did you use your skills to basically build the Expo Entertainment Department from the ground up? Because you and Tarek, our chief of events and entertainment, basically created what the Awasal and entertainment team became by opening day. Can you talk to us about how you were able to source talent from all over the world, what you were looking for, and what your process was? It was a very interesting journey to be able to add life onto a beautiful architectural landscape. And one thing we wanted to do is we we understood and took the theme of what Expo stands for, which is connecting minds, creating the future, by literally connecting the world together. We know that if we stayed in our own shell and just do this in that segment, we wouldn't bring the world together. 
The first thing we did is we reached internationally. We did for six months research by traveling around the world and uh, seeing these festivals, checking how things are going. And when we go to these festivals, we actually sit in a corner and observe how people would work. It's not enjoying the show. It's how that I would be, I would say the beehive operates. But what was interesting is everyone referred to Dubai as a concrete jungle, for example, after New York. But we wanted to change the perception that we are people of emotions and feelings. So we thought, what would a universal language would be? Everyone would say music. I would say feelings. Everyone cries. Everyone smiles. Everyone laughs. And we believe that with this beautiful architecture from all these architects around the world coming into a plot of four kilometers, let's bring them to life. Even the, the plot, which is just greenery grass, how can we bring it to life? So we did something crazy by adding a soil to a space, which is Al-Wasl Plaza. We said, if this structure is a person, who would it, it be? Is it a she? Is it a he? And then we thought, with the dome becoming like a circular thing, it kind of hugs you, which when you enter the dome, you feel you're kind of surrounded with a grandmother's hug, uh, surrounded by a grandmother's hug, uh, hugged by your mom. If a kid fell, runs to their mom, and wants to feel comfortable. And this is what Al-Wasl makes you feel. We added scent. We added uh, immersive sound that you feel you're surrounded in that world. And we thought, okay, we all feel comfortable on, in our grandmother's laps. I don't know what it is. Is it the stories? So we added stories. Is it the, the heartbeat that we hear when we hug the mother? Is it something like that? So we all added in the audio system. Simple heartbeat, uh, these things. And then we thought, okay, how can we be crazy and bold? So we say, Al-Wasl, she's a 90-year-old because the morning is really slow. She has uh, the wiseness of a 40-year-old, but a heart of a 12-year-old. And the way we programmed her, we took actually the heartbeat of an old woman, uh, a middle-aged woman, and a child. And this is where the projection comes to life after the sunsets. And it actually really helped programming because we thought of, okay, she is authentic yet universal. She cannot be just Emirati woman. She needs to be universal. She is uh, wise yet youthful. So we did this contrast where it became the venue of the world. When we created shows, we added some instruments that complements an emotion that makes you shiver, but you don't know why. And what was really interesting that it got achieved we saw different nationalities in one of an one of an Emirati show, which we didn't add the language to, just instruments. But there are different nationalities who are standing beside each other. Once something happened, they looked at each other smiling. Smiles were the universal language in Al-Wasl Plaza. And what was even interesting, there was a story about a the relationship between a boy and the horse and his mother, like a triangle kind of thing. It is relevant to everyone. Everyone felt something. So at the end of that show, you see a tear, of an eye with a smile. So we knew that humanizing a space makes people get related to as much as possible. So we did this for the rest of the venues. We thought of sustainability district is all about how can we engage with earth? So we brought all the different, the tap dance, the depka, all the dances that interact with earth that gives back sound. So we classified this with the countries. So then it became a very rhythmic programming site that you know, based on this entertainment, you are in which district. So it was a nice journey. And I think the key was humanizing 
a space that doesn't have a heartbeat. Mm. What a beautiful um, way to approach a creative process like that. It's really, really, really a lovely way to look at it. What did you learn personally about this journey for you um, in your role? What, what did you get out of it? I actually learned how to engage with everyone from around the world, no matter what the background is, what the culture is. And I learned much more about the world. And I noticed that we have a common language, authenticity. Authenticity is not about being part of the culture. It's about the feeling. And we all share the same culture. It's just interpreted differently by generations. I think we need to preserve the culture of the world because they're all universal. It gave us really uh, an eye-opener to the world. And what other, I mean, you know, what other event has that opportunity, right, than an expo, really? There's there's no, even Olympic ceremonies don't get that opportunity. Usually Ameri- Olympic ceremonies are a representation of that country and that culture, not all the cultures in a big melting pot. So what a wonderful opportunity to, to, to work on that. It was really interesting to see the melting pot come to life because there are few uh, incidents that happen where it was uh, during the UAE National Day. So we brought all the cultural performances from the seven emirates that even the UAE people didn't know they exist. So we went that deep into the roots. The same thing we went to other countries. And what was interesting that country pavilions see the same gesture. So they would talk without sharing the same language, and you suddenly turn your head, you see them performing together. Like, it it was just something that authentically came together. Expo really gave us a view that the world is good, people want to come together, and I think the borders of the oceans, that take us far away from each other. But culturally, entertainment-wise, I think... I wish X World Expo becomes on a yearly basis because that's where we saw actual entertainment come together from around the world. Old, new, even a futuristic way of performances. And that melting pot was not just with the folks who were doing the performing or actually working for the expo, but having that guest interaction is really what sets the World Expo apart from so many other international events where it is performer and audience Instead, in this situation, it's everyone together. And in many situations, it's guests participating. Um, It's a coming together of not just the people working on the event, but also the people who are visiting from all over the world. And now Expo is going through this amazing transition so that it can live on. So for those who don't know, Expo 2020 Dubai finished about six months ago, but now it is about to become Expo City. Amna, do you want to talk to us about Expo City? Yes, Expo City. We're opening Expo City 1 October back to the world. Excusing us because there are so many construction of dismantling some pavilions. But entertainment still lives on. During Expo, we used to keep it very limited to countries to participate in entertainment and within our own programming. This time in Expo City, we are giving the venue to the world. So I'll whistle with all its technical capabilities, with everything. We try to open it to the world to come and perform at Al Wasl, perform at Jubilee Park, use Expo City as an international hub to continue these events and entertainment from around the world. So it's more of a stopover to another location. So if someone is, let's say, would say a performance and uh, I would say an entertainment kind of show that starts from Sydney, it travels to Dubai as a stop, then goes to Singapore. 
you know it's like we create created a platform for every event can plug and go so we kept all the technical equipment that we invested to create uh, from audio lights staging we created so many i would say toolbox for creative directors from around the world during expo but now we're giving it to them to come and this is their world stage so we didn't want to be selfish and just keep it to ourselves we are more actually calling out to all shows and events around the world to come and we will be more than happy to guide them to deliver their own events on this world stage is are you part of that curation of of who gets chosen to come in or who you're inviting to come and perform in those spaces Yes, so I'm still the creative director <laughs> at Expo City, continued from Expo 2020. I look over the whole narrative to tie it up. Uh, we have received so far around 34 event queries, and these events are not like an event which is just come and do a wedding ceremony or a graduation. We actually got some music festivals that are lined up to try to book uh, the space because it is a city within a city and it's like independent like you're in Dubai but not in Dubai but you're in the world so it is really a four kilometer plot that somehow summarizes the world in this four kilometer because we have also some empty plots from pavilions who dismantled and left and they are actually a festival plots you just come and build your stage and just enjoy it you trained in, in Dubai, but then you ended up in Los Angeles. So <laughs> tell us about that. How did you end up working for Disney? I mean, I didn't want to leave, but I was homesick. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I was born and raised in Dubai. And, and um, what was really interesting with, uh, with Disney is I was in my last year of university as a motion designer. And because since watching Lion King in 1994, I knew that one day before I die, I would enter Disney's doors and be one of the people who can actually draw something. I didn't mind being a person who take attendance, but at least I would use their pencil and their paper. That was like my dream. <laughs> of course, I am curious. I googled a lot on how to participate on any event of Disney, how can I engage, I can volunteer, and all of this. Then I saw they have the Imagineering uh, University competition, and I participated with a few members of my team, and it says you can participate from anywhere around the world. I thought it was only for the States. And like, wow, this is an opportunity to put the UAE in USA's map, that, by the way, we exist here, and we are animators. Because it was such a small program in Zayed University that it, we were like six people in the class. That's it. So we are the same people all through. And I was a bit scared to travel abroad to study. And I wanted to remain actually in, in Dubai to understand more what do I need to do from a career perspective. But for sure, I wanted to learn fundamentals of animation. So we did the competition. We got qualified as top 10. The idea I came up with was... I noticed from Lion King time until 2009 that 2019, not 2009, I noticed that uh, animation design of these cartoons faded. Like the Lion King 1 was different than Lion King 2, different than Lion King 3, and then the other Lion King shows. Cinderella was different from the 1950s when they revamped it in 2000. I was like, what happened? Is the skill gone? Because it became too technical 
from drawings perspective, I own one of the Pinocchio cells from the old time. So I, I did my best to get one cell to purchase that. And it's part of my museum collection. There was art in, it was paintings. Every frame was a painting because every second is 24 drawings. So every second has 24 Mona Lisa Van Gogh artwork. It got lost in time. So I thought of what about we create a Walt Disney University idea that scholars train scholars, like the the generation doesn't stop and the legacy passes on. So I created in 3D model how the university will look like. Got inspired by Dubai Palm Island. I created an ink-like structure in glass that's on the waters of Santa Monica. So your university, you need to travel by boat to it because the concept is an ink drop from Walt from heaven to the ground. So his ink is the university campus design. So I merged some architecture skill with it. And then we sent it, we got qualified top 10, but then we didn't qualify top three. I was like, oh, it's fine. You know what? I'll enroll as masters and then I'll go again to the competition. Like as long as you're a student in university, you're okay. Then after I finished and everything, I received a call around, I still remember, 2 a.m., Dubai time, and there were two people interviewing me. And I was like, I thought it was a prank or a joke. I was like, hi, is this Amna? And they're like, yes, we're calling you from Walt Disney Studios. I was like, yeah, I think yeah, I was right. sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I was like, come on. <laughs> How would they get me? And I was like, sure. sure. you are. I was like, sure. Like, and yeah, well, you worked on a project that is like Walt Disney University. We just want to say it's an amazing idea. It's the best idea we got. But there are other stuff that other competitors that their work could be implemented. Yours is like maybe after 100 years because the university and just all of these things. I went in detail even designing the uniform of the people who will be working at the university, like that detail. And I mean, they just need to put academic and that's it. So then they kept telling me, do you really like, do you know, we want to tell you a secret. Uh, Walt Disney doesn't have magic. And, you know, they took me like a kid and they were like treating me that way. And then they told me, what would you change at Walt Disney Resort if it was all of that? I said, the queue system. Come on, guys. Your queuing system is not that good. Like, I mean, I'm stuck to the person beside me, but actually the queue is going forever. Where's the entertainment in queuing? Put these things, and I kept giving them ideas of all of these things that could happen and crazy carousels. Why don't you just do one, two carousels that collide, but they don't hit each other? Like, I, I was telling them, you don't have thrill in, ex, in your uh, theme parks. It's just fairy tale and happiness. And then I thought, like, I don't know why they called me till I closed. And I was like, that was interesting. So I told my sister, I don't know if I had a dream or am I saying, it was just a conversation. I then received a few weeks later into the mail of the university, I got called that I won an internship fully covered from Disney and I would be the first international student that will have an internship. And if everything's okay, I would be qualified to be, to take the job. And I went and it was pure magic, pure magic. And then I, I was like, no, I can't do three years. I need to go back. <laughs> so then I came back to Dubai and implemented most of the things I learned into what I do on everyday basis. What an incredible story. I mean, that is such a unique way to get into Disney. <laughs> it's amazing. 
Wow. Not sure if it's a dream or an interview that happened in the middle of the night. That's amazing. (laughs) That's just so surreal. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theater Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of ClearCom Intercom Solutions. You can find them at C-L-E-A-R-C-O-M.com. Go check them out. And so, like, once you became, like, you started to work there, you, you went from an intern to an actual um, employee of the Imagineering Group, yeah? And so what was your role technically in that in that group once you graduated from being an intern? So basically, I continued doing what I used to do. So engineers and uh, David Crawford was my boss. He was an engineer and he would and that this was the fun part. He would actually program some rides, but they don't have themes to it. So he would tell me, come join me in one of the warehouses around and he would control the ride with a joystick and connected with a USB port to a laptop. So I didn't know if it was safe enough, but I should trust him. He's my boss. So I would actually sit on wires, devices, and the chair, and it moves. So he would tell me, that time there was no VR. We didn't really look at things. But that's where, like, we imagined the speed, and it's just a chair moving and doing all of this. And my task was to turn things into 3D. Uh, So they would give me a sketch that I would turn it into 3D models. So then it gets taken to the craft studio so they can 3D print it for the rides. I worked on Cars Ride, creating rocks, creating products, like elements that will be in it. I worked on a few different products that would be there. And on the side, I would create themes for these engineering kind of drawings. But I was with a team and we were like, there's a graphic designer, there is a 3D modeler, there is visualizer. And then we used to come up with crazy ideas. None came to life because there was two carousels colliding, but they never hit each other. But health and safety would like, don't want to die. And, you know, like it's just a fraction of a millisecond might hit. So, I mean, it's too risky. But, uh, yeah, it was that was my task. Fun fact, Amna, the Cars ride is one of my favorite Disney rides and the rocks are the best part. Um, so I love that you worked on that. Um, Amna, did you find any differences between working in Dubai and working in the United States? And if so, could you talk to us about those? I think when when I, because after finishing from Walt Disney Studios uh, Imagineering, I came back and worked at a animation studio in the UAE and we catered more for the Arabic kind of audience and children what when I worked at Expo I felt I'm exactly the same with the states and back and forth because we worked internationally recently I worked uh, I actually produced directed a show in the United Nations on the 19th of September uh, this month and we took the projection storyline from Dubai to New York there was no difference. Um, the thing that I notice a bit of a difference is that in Dubai, we have more technology that facilitates the shows that we are producing. What I like in the States, the fundamentals of theater, the fundamentals of art is still there. It's not lost by different technology. So what I'm trying to do here is merge the foundation with the new technology because when you go to other countries you get either very technical 
and very advanced that you lose the sense of even the smell of that wood. So this is where working different places around the world makes you want to bring the world again together. Just looking for the smell of hot dust on a fernel. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But I mean, that, that is the core of, you know, the danger of using too much technology is you're losing the soul of, of what the theatricalness of, of what we do. And, and that's always a challenge because people often go for the wow factor of technology. But what's behind that? You know, what is, what's really going to make people remember it? Because people see new technologies all the time now, right? So that's not necessarily something that people are going to remember for the rest of their life. They, it comes back to your original ethos when you were thinking about Expo is that it's about feelings, right? And, and, and that's the universal feeling. And if you make people feel something in a show, then that's what they're going to remember. People never remember the details. They only remember how they felt about it, right? So if you're tapping into that, however you do that, it's interesting that you say that you're taking from all of the countries because that's exactly what I do when I learn in different genres of entertainment or different countries that I work. I'm like, oh, taking that going to use that oh taking that and then you over time you build up this big toolkit to utilize in your work which is is a fascinating process I have one more question though I think because I you um before we get to our final questions in the expo uh sorry now interview your interesting analogy about how a creative director is a producer um is is a fascinating way to look at a creative director's role and I've never had that explained <laughs> to me in such a way so I think that's really interesting In your mind then, in those kind of roles, in those senior roles, what should it look like? Like what should a, sh a show be led by in, in terms of its execution and what are those people? Is it a creative director and a producer or is it, is it a hybrid role? How do you think that that could shift to be better? That's a very interesting thing to look at because we noticed that the attention spam of anyone is very short now. Like people just don't stay three hours watching a theater show unless you add some surprise elements every now and then. It's like grown-ups now have attention spam of a five-year-old, which is maybe what they kept seeing in the technology and in mobile phones. And they've seen everything in their hands, in their phones. So I think what I learned through the time and especially within different um, shows you can never have just one creative director. Yes, be an executive creative director. Get two to three creative directors under you and bounce ideas because one person's mind is not enough to entertain the audience because it's no longer the same thing. And I noticed this with several creative directors that I felt they were stuck in their time. They just did a big thing and they kept repeating the same idea. I don't want to go see an Amna show. I don't want to go see an ex-director show. I want to see a show. So when you have several directors come together, there is no bias into an idea and the producers will work better. And we did this with the closing ceremony of Expo 2020. We had, we were me, Jared, Danny, Richard, four directors, four creative directors to come and create the story together. And everyone from an audience felt, felt the belonging to it because it's not driven by one idea. It's yes, it is the concept, but the execution changes and each director has a specific producer they understand. And these producer, pool of four producers, know how to talk to each other. 
and don't just run around in circles trying to figure out what this creative director wants. So I think the industry needs creative directors to be open with each other. And this ego level that comes sometimes with a creative director that directs for 10 years or so should never be there. Ego is the biggest enemy. But that's where you lose your audience and adapt to the future. So one of your creative directors should always be much younger than the group just to bounce these things because that person would actually say, uh, well, your idea is very old and your idea is needs a better kind of, I got bored. This debate between generation is key when it comes to shows and entertainment. And we all need to think as creative directors that we are doing this for the world and not for ourselves. That's a brilliant answer, by the way. I think that's, there's a lot to be taken from that. I'm going to have to think about that when I get off this call. <laughs> what, what say you, Kat? I'm really curious. Um, just one thing that I'm not sure we've talked about on this podcast before is mascot conceptualization and design. Um, this is something that I imagine you may have or may not have run into at Disney, but was one of your main projects at um, Expo was actually the creation of our mascots, which which were hugely featured um, throughout the site and in our shows um, and were characters that uh, all of our guests really loved. Could you talk to us about how you actually created them and what what is the process of determining the mascots and costuming the mascots and deciding how they're going to act and how you coached them and could you just tell us about that process? That's really interesting with the mascot because I've worked a lot in the field of animation and cartoons and all of this. One thing that we do is listen to our audience who are five-year-olds and below. I actually sat a lot in the room with children from schools and the mascot should reflect the country, the host country. But what I want to really reflect is our culture more than the character themselves, because we're all about families. It's like very important to see uh, families come together in our culture. We live with three generations in one house. I live with my grandma and my cousins and my aunts. And, and we're like in this house where my cousins are like my brothers and sisters. So I wanted to reflect this where we created a boy and a girl, of course. But what was really interesting is I showed the kids, kindergarten kids, the boy and the girl for the first time. And the reason I chose the white bluish dress for the boy, the traditional one, and for the girl pinkish red is because of the personality. She is more towards the warm colors because she's always angry and ag- agitated. And she's a gamer and she's like, she had, don't have temper. The boy is more of the cool colors because he's just so calm and he's an artist. He loves plants. Like it's such an opposite thing. And that's what you see with siblings. They always fight. So that anticipation of, oh God, what they will do next makes the kids feel related to. But when I showed them, they were like, that's boring. Where are our friends? That's what they told me. It's like, okay, you want friends? I'll get you friends next week. So I had a bunch of kids that are reb- rebellious, stubborn, nothing interests them. And I created these robots to them to be their family and their guidance. And they loved it. And they kept saying, I want to team up with this character. I want... They, uh, they felt they were Rashid and Latifa, the boy and the girl, dealing with these mascots. And what we did during event time, we created mini robots 
that is exactly like the mascots. What we wanted to do is educate children who are our future leaders to understand what Expo is all about. So we took the language of Expo and created a simple day-to-day conversation of what an Expo is, which is connecting minds, creating the future. I gave them capes so they can fly. I gave them so many things that makes it amazing. One kid came to me and said, where is the evil guy? I was like, what? I was like, where is the person we need to fight? We cannot be all good. I mean, that's boring. I was like, oh, God. Okay, sure. And that's where we created the villain called Mr. Scrap. He collects scraps from around world expos and create inventions to be the best inventor around the world. And these are the characters. So this is Mr. Scrap. And this is Latif and this is Rashid. And they kept fighting him every episode. And each episode was about a theme that reflects the sub-themes of Expo. So before we open our gates, we made the animation and the films as if you're at Expo. So when they came, they want to copy Rashid by climbing this section. So it became their Disneyland, I would say. That's excellent. And the adults love them just as much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing so Amna this has been really interesting to wrap up we always ask our podcast guests the two questions so these are the two questions the first one is what's your favorite thing about your job or the industry my favorite job actually in this industry is I believe that creative people see the future because when we try to sketch an idea we actually saw it in our mind I mean Creative people, I believe, have a gift of seeing the future before everyone else. And that's where From Sketch to Reality is. And this was told to me by someone who is a big leader uh, in this country and says that we have a gift to look at things that are way ahead than our time and we need to cherish it. And this is what I feel is important in this Uh, job is no matter what the job is as long as you continue to create I think we are in the best jobs we ask for as long as we have the freedom to translate what's in our mind and what we see as the future into uh, reality is I think key to any job so I I feel expositivity is a playground that we have as creative the freedom to do whatever it takes to show people what the future is Amazing. Amna, I know that you love your job and I know that you love this industry, but if there's one thing that you could change, what would it be and why? I would add more art and theater around the world. I think the world lacks that because even doing a show in the United Nations in front of world leaders, they were so happy. They need to see more of this. They need to see more of art. They need to start seeing beauty and even catastrophes. I mean, We need to be more heard in this industry, in the world, that this industry of events and entertainment and creative need to have a megaphone to the world because we would bring this peace together in the way that we go together because that's how we do it in events. We connect around the world like family. That's a great answer. And it's really interesting that you say that because um, it's something that with tighter budgets and corporate people wanting to make money from entertainment and, and the, ch- the industry there to, to make a, a, a buck, it's, it gets harder and harder to shout that from the, the rooftops we have to. And it's very interesting post-pandemic as well to see 
what's come back and how it's come back. It's um, we're at a challenging time, right? It's, it's something that's really interesting. Can you just, as a final thing, I, I'd just like to ask, and for those who are more international listeners to the podcast, aside from Expo, what what is the art scene and what is the um, sort of what art is happening in Dubai generally? Is there is there a big culture of entertainment around Dubai that is not part of the Expo? Yes, I mean, it's not only Dubai. Abu Dhabi now is booming with events and entertainment. We see ourselves more of the United Arab Emirates. And there are so many theater venues that have been created recently in Sharjah. So what we try to do here, not only in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates, is create a world of art and culture wherever you go. And you can see it down the streets. The Even the art... Um, People would call it graffiti. I would say paintings are curated in a very beautiful way. And it is given to the youth. So I think when such things are given to the youth, don't worry about the future. And when you see the the youth really create all of this and care about it, you really should not worry about the future. And I think what's also interesting in Dubai is they are welcoming as many creative people as possible providing them with the golden visa to come and work and have Dubai their base, calling all creators from around the world. So that was an amazing start and a jump to make sure that Dubai could continue to project its art and creative. No matter from where you are, just come to Dubai, come to the UAE, and it will be your canvas. Wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us today on the Theatre Art Life podcast. It was wonderful to hear about your work and life. It's, it's been truly special. Thank you, Amna. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Theatre Art Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only $38 US per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.